Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, Jesus Christ, by whose wounds we are healed. Sometimes when you get a gift, it's exactly what you wanted. You wrote it down on your wish list, somebody read it, and they got it for you. Awesome. But sometimes you get a gift that isn't from your list. And maybe you recognize what it is when you open it, but you don't really know why this person got it for you. Or maybe you don't even recognize what it is. Maybe it's some tool or gadget that you've never even seen before. And so you say, oh, thanks, this is great, and you move on. But later, later you actually learn how to use this gift, and you find out this is the best gift I've ever gotten. It's so clever, or so helpful, or so perfect in some way. But you had to learn about it first before you could appreciate how great a gift it was. This is what God's gift of salvation is like. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. In our sermon reading for today, the Holy Spirit is going to explain some of the details around God's gift of salvation so that we can understand how great this gift really is. Our reading comes from Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. The Spirit caused the Apostle Paul to write these words to his fellow Christians in Ephesus. We read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These are the words. May the Holy Spirit bless our study of them. Amen. Guns and cliffs have something in common. They make people nervous. And with good reason. If you fall off a cliff, you don't get a redo. Oh, wait, that's not what I meant to do. Let me try that again. Doesn't exactly work that way. Same thing with a gun. A firearm is a killing weapon. 
and you and I can't undo death. So it isn't surprising that we're a little nervous around these things. When you're dead, you can't do anything. There's no hearing or seeing or thinking or choosing or acting. Think about the dead in their coffins for a moment, the long dead. If we were to dig down to those coffins and open them up, would they sit up and speak with us? Would they shift around and say, oh, why did, you, why did you open that, close that? I'm trying to rest here. No. They are dead. Like it says in Ecclesiastes, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have part in anything that happens under the sun. These verses are about those who are physically dead. Their time on this earth, or under the sun, as Solomon puts it, is over. And in death they can do nothing. This point about death is pretty important because God moved Paul to write and describe the spiritual condition of sinful mankind by saying, we were dead in our trespasses. In other words, because of sin, we were incapable of doing anything. We were spiritually separated from God and incapable of doing anything to change that scenario. And then God made us alive, spiritually. God did this by connecting us to his son, his eternal son, Jesus Christ. And since God's son is holy and brimming, full of life, those who are connected to him become the same. We are holy and raised from spiritual deadness to eternal life, peace with God, and a renewed relationship with him. And why did God do this for sinners dead in their sins, rebels against his will? Well, listen to verses 4 and 5 again. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Why did God do this for sinners? Because in his character, there are huge, vast storerooms of mercy and love for those dead in sin. To understand God's gift of salvation, you have to understand how far it has brought us. It has brought us from absolutely hopeless to heaven simply because he loved us. Now this spiritual resurrection is only possible through the eternal Son of God. Jesus is the key here. He took our sins and put them on his own soul 
And he died in our place to take those sins away from us forever. Everyone who believes this message is connected to him. That's what we read about a minute ago, right? When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Paul continues this image of sinners being connected to Jesus in verse 6. He writes, And God raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Imagine for a moment Jesus walking through a morgue and touching dead body after dead body after dead body. And every time he touches one of these, they come alive. Not brought back to life like some zombie in a horror movie, but back to real, vibrant life. And each one of these resurrected ones is alive because when Jesus touched them, he connected them to himself. And so there's this invisible line that goes from him to them, giving them life. And now because they're connected to Jesus with this invisible line, where he goes, they go. This is true, this image, in a spiritual sense. When the message of Jesus goes out into the world, the Holy Spirit uses it to touch the spiritually dead. And through the power of the good news of sins forgiven through Jesus, people are brought to life. They are invisibly connected to their Savior by faith. Jesus lives in them and they in Jesus. Everything that he has done then is credited to them. And where he goes, they go. So just as Jesus was lifted up into the sky when he ascended back into heaven, his followers are lifted up into the sky. And just as he was seated in glory at the Father's right hand, so too all who trust in him were raised up and seated in the very presence of God. The Holy Spirit describes this mystical connection to Jesus so that we will know that we are not working our way toward heaven. In Christ, we are already there. And in time, we will be there bodily, and we will see for the, all these things with our very own eyes. And then we will see how very much more is yet to come. Verse 7 says that God has done all of this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, contrary to what our sinful nature tells us, heaven is not going to be boring. You ever think that? Oh, I don't know if I want to go to heaven quite yet because, you know, we're just going to be standing around praising God. It's going to kind of be boring. Not quite yet, God. No. This is our sinful nature telling us a lie. In heaven, every new surprise, 
every joy, every soothing kindness that is poured out on us is going to be part of this thing that the Holy Spirit calls the immeasurable riches of His grace. To understand God's gift of salvation, we have to understand how much more there is to come. More than we can really even understand. He loved us so much that He saved us. And to what purpose does He do this? So that in heaven, He might love us even more. When Jesus preached on this earth, he told the people, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And with these words, Jesus was offering this gift that, that we can't even fully understand. And this should give us a clue. If we can't fully understand the greatness and the glory that will be heaven, how could we ever think that we might be able to earn it or buy it for ourselves somehow. Paul tells us how much we've contributed to obtaining our own salvation in verses 8 and 9. He writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The whole thing, the love that motivated it, the mercy that motivated it, the Savior who went to the cross and died for us, and the Holy Spirit who brings us to faith in that, that message, all of this is God's work from beginning to the end. And Paul wants us to understand this, that you didn't do it. This isn't your working that accomplished this. You can't boast about this at all because you didn't contribute to it. Think about it like this. Let's imagine that there's a stone wall and we want to demolish part of it. We want to topple it so that we can move through that spot. So we've cut down that stone wall. It's a big one. We've cut down on each side and we got a big group of people and we're pushing on the one side of it. And it feels like it's going to go at any moment here, but no matter how hard they push, it just can't quite make that happen. But then you, with your little pinky, go up while everyone's straining against that wall, and you just lightly touch it, and it falls over. So here's the question. Do you get credit for that, for toppling that part of the wall? Yeah. You get some credit. It wasn't falling before you came, and then you added your little bit, and it fell over. So yeah, you get credit for that. But what if it toppled without you doing anything at all? What if you stepped up while they were straining to add your little tiny half an ounce of force, and before you got within 10 feet of the wall, it fell over? Would you get credit for that? No. Not at all. You didn't, you didn't do anything. Not even the littlest bit. The Holy Spirit takes care in this section and in many other parts of the Bible to make it clear that we don't get 
any credit for God's saving act. It was his plan. Jesus carried it out by going to that cross. We didn't do that. The Holy Spirit sparks faith in our heart through the gospel. We don't do it. By grace, you have been saved through faith. None of the credit goes to you and me. It wasn't our prayer to God. It wasn't inviting him into our heart. We can't boast. We can't take credit for any of it. Because it is his gift. To understand God's gift of salvation, we have to understand how little we've contributed to it. Nothing. It is his free gift to us. Now, don't take this the wrong way. I think sometimes we hear this and our sinful nature prompts us to respond, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I haven't earned this, so I'm worthless. I get it. But God isn't trying to be hurtful when he tells us this, that we haven't contributed to his plan of salvation. He's telling us this, that it's a free gift so that we know that we aren't behind in the payments. There aren't any payments. Those have already been made by Jesus on the cross. That part is finished by the Son. And now salvation belongs to you. Trust in the one who, brought it, who bought it for you. In the last two verses of our sermon reading for today, Paul makes it clear one last time that the saved can't take credit for any part of their salvation. He writes, No one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Who gets credit for building the pyramids? The stones placed one on another or the Egyptians? Who gets credit for building the Parthenon? The marble or the Greek builders who cut and fashioned the marble? The answer is obvious. The craftsman gets credit for the thing that he made. And when it comes to sinners being saved from the judgment that was coming their way, God is the craftsman. We sinners can't save ourselves. And the Holy Spirit teaches us here that we can't even take credit for the good things that we do after God brings us to trust in his son. Because even those things were laid out before us, before our feet, long ago, by God. Think about it like this. Imagine a father walking across a, a big field full of snow, a deep field of snow, and he's carefully positioning his footsteps so that the little ones who are behind him can make their way. And there they are behind him, those little ones struggling and stumbling, falling down and picking themselves up, walking in their father's footsteps whining here and there, but still walking along in those steps that he has provided. 
even after we've been reborn into God's family, we need a lot of help. But our Heavenly Father knows that. And our Redeemer knows that. And the Holy Spirit certainly knows that. Dear Christians, this is what has been given to you in Christ. Life from the dead. The promise of heaven's adventure. The knowledge that forgiveness is not something that you earn, but something that has been given to you by God. And the knowledge that God is so good that he's even been planning out your good steps long ago. Maybe think about it like this. A carpenter moves through a town selecting houses to purchase and remodel. He buys one here, he buys one there, buys a few on this side of town, a few on that side. And after purchasing these houses, he sets to work remodeling them. Some of the work goes easy, but other projects take more time. But it doesn't matter whether the remodeling process is going slowly or quickly because these houses belong to him. And he knew what he was getting into when he bought them. He isn't the kind who quits working when the job gets tough. In fact, he's just the opposite. Through Christ's payment on the cross, you have been purchased for God. Cherish the gift of your salvation. And remember that it's all for him. From the love, to the blood, to the glory to come, it's all him. And in Christ, that finished work has been given to you. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.